You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome to the 602 Club. I mean, Canto Bite. We're so excited to have you here tonight where all of your pleasures can be met. We've got the best drinks, the best games, the best everything that. Well, sorry, I got a little carried away. Um, welcome to the 602 Club. My name is Matt Rushing, and I'm just one of the hosts here uh, tonight because we are going to be talking about Canto Bite as we make our way to. The Last Jedi, that as we are recording, comes out this week. Now, I can't do this alone to review this book by myself, so I needed some fantastic people to do that with me. And uh, back for her second Star Wars book, Christy Morris. Hey, looking forward to playing the slot machine. Yeah. Uh, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Did uh, I win anything? Yeah, no, no, sorry, your luck's run out, my bad. Oh, crap. Hmm. And uh, uh, Bruce, back, Bruce, it's good to have you back here in the 602 Club. I was just gambling a week ago because my wife's office party, they had a casino night and we were playing blackjack. Of course, it wasn't real nice. money, though. But I was like, oh, it's like I'm in Canto Bite. This is so exciting. Except everybody was it like was Monopoly human. money. It was Monopoly money. Yeah. Nice. Oh, they were all organics. Yes, they were all organics that were there. There was not a single green <laughs> person to be found. Well, that's how you know that they really like you, you know, if you're being served by an organic. Nothing worse than having just some robot come over and check on you. Ah, so lame. Right? The service is terrible. Absolutely. Well, um, before we dive into the book and, and talk about Canto Bite, just want to remind everybody you can find all the shows that we do here on Trek FM at iTunes at iTunes.com slash Trek FM. It's a great place to check out all the shows that we're doing. Of course, the 602 Club. Um, while you're there, subscribe to the show. You get it the moment that I publish it if you do that. And hit us up with a star rating review. It really does help people find the show. And uh, like our last reviewer, hey, you might not agree with everything that we say on the show, but you love yelling at your iPod when you don't. So um, make sure you do that. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. You can also find us online at trek.fm. While you're there, if you'd like to send us an email, go to the trek.fm slash contact, choose a show, choose the 602 Club, and that'll come straight to me and any hosts that week. And uh, if you like to get in further with the conversation, the best place to do that is the Babel Conference, and that's on Facebook. Type Babel into the search field on Facebook, or if again, if you're at the website, hit discussion on any of the menu bars. And that'll bring you right over, and uh, you'll get to talk to everybody else there, all the listeners, uh, about all the different shows and everything that we're talking about here on Trek FM. Now, guys, um, Bruce, you've already seen The Last Jedi as we are uh, approaching uh, this this date. So I can't really ask you this question, but Christy, on a scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you for The Last Jedi? I'm at about a nine. Awesome. Have you like been watching everything or staying away? I was watching uh, everything up through the um, trailer at the football game. I don't even remember who was playing because I haven't watched football in so long. Um, and then after that, I've been so afraid of being spoiled for things that I want to be surprised by that I've kind of stayed away from any more um, trailers and uh, just yesterday went off social media until after I see the movie. Yeah, it's um, interesting because uh, I've done pretty much the same thing uh, for the most part. I, I watched that last trailer and then I have been doing my very best to stay away from TV spots and everything like that. In fact, one of the TV spots actually ruined that trailer because it showed an answer to a question we all had because of that trailer. And I was like, dang it, TV spot. Why did you do that? Um, 
So I really have, a, I, I don't want things to be, you know, too spoiled for me going in. So I'm um, very, very excited to see where the series goes. And I mean, I'm surprised you have me on here. Yeah, well, I didn't know you were going to see it, Bruce. You're... I thought you would be trying to avoid me so I don't give you any potential spoilers I, and ruin it I for mean, you. you're so much fancier than, than we are, so. Because I've been to Canto Bight. Yes, you have, apparently. <laughs> um, the interesting thing about this book is the fact that it is broken up into four different stories about Canto Bight, and it's... Very similar then to a lot of the other books that we have been getting. Uh, the Luke Skywalker book that we recently got has uh, a variety of different stories in it, um, all you know, short stories about Luke. Um, they're all written by the same person, but they are written in kind of um, different perspectives and um, even with different writing styles, really. Uh, of course, we had uh, the From a Certain Point of View book all about, you know, the stories surrounding a new hope so i wanted to ask you both um for you kind of reading through this even before we get to kind of talking through the specific stories how did it work for you to have this broken up by four different stories by four different authors for me it, first of all only being the second star wars book i've ever read um I like the difference of having a series of short stories and not just one novel by one author like the Claudia Gray book that I read, uh, Leia, Princess of Alderaan. Um, however, it did feel like, you know, you always end up kind of liking one story better than another or maybe one better than all the rest. And I will say for sure that the uh, second one, The Wine and Dreams by Mira Grant was definitely my favorite. Well, I'm not a big fan of short stories when it comes to tie-in fiction, uh, unless the short stories are a series of stories that lead, like the next short story plays off the, the last one and so on and so forth. Because when I read a, a novel, a Star Wars novel or a Star Trek novel, I kind of approach it like I'm watching a movie. And the short stories just seem to be little side stories off to the side, and they're short. And it's just... Not something I really get into. Um, so going into this, I knew that I probably wasn't going to be loving this book because I'm not into short stories that much. And it's not that I don't like the book or I don't like short stories. They just don't work for me as well as a full-length novel when it comes to Star Wars. It's interesting you say that, Bruce, because I feel like uh, the short stories that, um, like last year, well, I guess it's a few years now, when the... Force Awakens came out. We got a few uh, e-novella type stories. Um, one of them was The Perfect Weapon by Delilah Dawson, which was awesome. And then uh, there was a, a set of, of short stories that um, were done in ebook, and then they produced them later as a, as a hardcover book that you could get. Uh, Landry Q. Walker uh, called Tales from a Galaxy Far, Far Away, Aliens. And, um, but they were all written by him and they were different short stories that take place, uh, about some of the aliens that we would see in the movie and around Maz's castle and that kind of stuff. And this book is interesting. Again, like you said, Christy, it becomes one of those things where you read all four stories and you do definitely have favorites. And mm. part of that, I think, has to do with each story... Like you said, Bruce, it doesn't really build off each other. Now, there are certain players and stories that you'll see in other stories, but they don't feel necessarily concurrent with each other or anything. They're not interweaving, really. Just some of those characters in Canto Bite will show up in other parts of, of other stories. And, um, yeah, I think the real interesting thing here is that by choosing four different authors... Everybody's probably going to respond differently to the different styles. And I, I think, I don't know. I wanted to ask you, even before we dove in, do you think maybe they should have just chosen one person to write four different stories? That's what I was about to ask. Was Would it have been better to just have one author? Or, you know, are too many things different? You're having this being a short story that's not really answering any big questions that we have leading up to The Last Jedi. So it's already kind of an aside story anyway that you may not 
have as much on your radar as you would wanting to know things like who Ray's parents are. Um, but but then also having each story be by a different author, I think, and then not having them weave together at all either is three different things that are making it difficult to make this a, a big, important thing in your reading leading up to this movie, um, you know, compared to something like Princess of Alderaan or, you know, something else um, where you're going to get more of those big um, Star Wars questions answered. Um, so, yeah, I, I think maybe it would have been better to have one author write all four stories and still do them as short stories, but then maybe also add that element of having them depend on each other a little more. Yeah, I agree. If there was one author doing four short stories, there should be a connection between the stories. Like one leads into the other or the four character. There's four main characters in each story, but they all seem to know each other. Or maybe it's a different point of view or something, a situation that's going on. But for me, if you're going to have one author do this book, I'd say just do it as a novel and not the four short stories. And they can have four storylines going through the whole book and then tying up together at the end. And right now, it just feels like there's four authors writing stories and the only thing they have in common is the location. But do you think, too, like it's also a matter of just perspective like if you're going into it knowing it short stories and you're looking at it at the sense of sort of like a Aesop's fables where you're getting a moral to each story and that's why they have to be different that you would think of it in a more positive way um for me I don't mind that if it's four different authors if the stories play out differently or are written differently and have different tones to it that doesn't bother me it's just I'm I just didn't feel like this added anything to Canto Bite for me or to The Last Jedi or to the Star Wars saga in general. And there's such short stories that, gosh, it sounds sounds so negative, but (laughs) I just don't feel like, I think they'll be forgettable for me after a while. I mean, some are good, some aren't as good, but they, they could have taken place anywhere. They could have been Las Vegas in our time. That's how I felt. It just didn't feel like it was adding anything to Star Wars. I said to Matt earlier today, when I pick up a Star Wars book, I want to read a Star Wars story. And I felt like what I was reading here were, were stories that just happened to p- take place in the Star Wars universe that aren't really connected to Star Wars. I, I think that's a really good point. I think both of you brought up a lot of things that I've been kind of thinking as I was reading through this book is that um, I ended up you know, liking... A majority of the stories in the book but there also was this feeling of like something was missing mm-hmm. you know like i'm reading this i mean i'm just like oh that's that's great but then i think the main thing like you're saying bruce is uh in the end you want star wars stories to feel like that they could only take place in star wars and and star wars is a connected universe and one in which all of these things kind of play together it's always been like that right even think about the the way that we do the tv series for star wars or uh the the movies themselves or the books have always been done they're always something about connecting to the greater whole and adding to that um and yeah i i feel like when i finish these stories if I hadn't read them, would that have been a problem? Nope. That you would probably still be okay without yeah, it. <laughs> exactly. Like, I'm going to go into The Last Jedi. It's not going to have added anything to it. And uh, let, me, let me just put it this way. Phasma, reading that book, added so much to her character. And understanding who she is, it added so much understanding who she was in The Force Awakens. And now it will going into this, you know, Last Jedi. The same thing for her comic did very much the same thing. Um, you know, uh, Leia, Princess of Alderaan, you, you even said it, uh, really added to the, the understanding of just kind of who Leia was as a younger person. But it also gave us that ability to meet... Haldo, you know, introduced us for the first time to a character that we're going to see in The Last Jedi. And so this 
you know, all of the characters that we're meeting here, I, I feel like we may, may be able to pick them out in certain scenes at Canto Bite, but that will probably be it, you know, that they would just be background characters. And, and that's fine, because, you know, we have done that with uh, the tales from... Jabba's Palace and that kind of stuff, those old uh, Legends books. But this just kind of felt like being the journey to The Last Jedi. There was nothing here. Like, I remember the Alien books. Um, they they gave us a story about the Crimson Corsair, uh, the, the guy with the awesome red helmet that uh, Finn, you know. That was a great story because I was, like, it was just kind of, like, captured this character that had captured me even from the pictures and everything, and I was just like, I love this character. I, I don't know why. It's kind of like that Boba Fett thing. Like, you just think it's cool, you know? And then it's you Captain Nathano, right? Yeah. His name? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, he looked so cool. Yeah, so awesome. So then you get that story about him, and you're like, oh, this is, you know, he is this cool character and everything. Well, this, like, all of the characters that we're seeing here, like, I was even looking at the Vanity Fair picture, and... I could only pick out a few of the characters from that picture in these stories. So it was it was just feeling like uh, a disconnect, you know, like that kind of thing. So but all that not said, really important. Yeah, you do. I mean, um, again, like even reading a Delilah Dawson's "The Perfect Weapon," getting to know who that random character was that was sitting on. Um, this big, you know, gargantuan alien's lap, you know, Bazin, Natal, you know, that was really cool. Um, this, I, I barely even know what the aliens look like. And so I'm not even having that connection. Like you're going to the picture from Vanity Fair and you're like, oh, that's that one, you know? And so this is their story. You know, I'm just not feeling even that connection. It just feels cash grabby. Yeah, I agree. Like like people do in Canto Bite. Yeah, They're absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and the thing, when I saw The Last Jedi, I was three quarters through this book, and I'm not giving anything away, except that, you know, of course they see Canto Bite in the movie, and I can't, this, the book didn't really help to enhance that for me. I mean, a little bit, maybe. But like you said, trying to pick out those aliens, I did try to do that. But as you know, like when we saw Maz Kanata's castle, I mean, things move fast, you know, and you're copying. So it was hard to even try to find these aliens because, you know, you're just, you're into the movie and, you know, you see aliens, but they go by real quick. So um, it, it didn't really even enhance that for me. And I was wondering before I even saw The Last Jedi, if this book would be even a better read after you've seen The Last Jedi maybe even more than once so that you're more familiar with Kendo Bite and that when you go into this book, you're saying like right away, oh, I know who they're talking about. It's that guy that was on the left on that one scene or whatever. But uh, again, being three quarters of the way through and then seeing the movie and reading the rest of the book, it still didn't <laughs> do anything for me to enhance it. And again, it's not that I don't like the stories. It's just not all that for me as a Star right. Wars book. Let's um let's jump into the stories. We'll like talk about them now. Um, kind of got some of our general thoughts out. But uh, the first story is Rules of the Game, uh, by Saladin Ahmed. And so I wanted to ask you guys like what you thought of this one. This one's kind of interesting. <laughs> this guy's coming to Canto Bite because he's won um this uh, sweepstakes at his work, and um he is the lovable idiot. <laughs> he is the lovable idiot. Yes, absolutely. But he has won the Vaportex Sales Being of the Year, and he gets two weeks all expenses paid trip to Canto Bite, you know. And um, yeah, what did you guys think about this one? Well, I read it like it was a Pixar movie. Because that's what it felt like to me at first. I, I don't a Pixar know why, movie but... where somebody like maybe turned into a human bomb? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Like I just, it's a really well, violent Pixar movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know why, but it's like as soon as I got into it, knowing, I, and maybe because this, this main character is a little dopey and a little lost, it kind of came across a little comedic. And I was trying to picture all these different aliens, and then it started to look in my head more like a Pixar movie. And I thought, you know, I'm going to run with that. I'm going to make this a Pixar Star Wars movie in my head. 
And so it actually made the story kind of fun to read. It was it was very comical in a lot of ways because I was picturing it all as like CGI Star Wars aliens. So maybe, again, just the way you approach a book and getting into it, sometimes it may work for you, sometimes it doesn't because how you approach it with your expectations or how you visualize things. Um, but I, I do think it's the weaker of the four, but uh, I, and I think that's why it's at the front of the book because you want it to get better as you go along. <laughs> yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Bruce, in that uh, I also have to visualize any book I'm reading to really get into it. And everybody's way that you visualize it is different. And I'm sure it's also totally different if you listen to this on Audible where you're having a, a narrator's voice. Um, but it, I pictured it as sort of this main character, Ked Pin, being like a kid on their first trip to Disneyland. <laughs> 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 because there's a lot of exclamation points. I think I told you both that I felt like it was somebody just walking around going, gee willikers, who's up for lunch? Who wants dessert? Okay. You know, he's excited Apparently, about he's everything. he's like a valley girl. <laughs> like, oh yeah. my God. Oh my God. <laughs> no, yeah, you're absolutely you know, right. It feels like it's his first time going anywhere. Yes. And then he also um, is just a little bit, you, you also feel that he's just kind of naive to everything. That it's not just his first vacation. It's like it's first his first time in public. <laughs> Which is funny because he's like, what, 120 years old or yeah. something like that? All he does Shouldn't he be work. more streetwise? Well, it, it, so it was it was super interesting um, in the sense that, you know, this character, he hasn't gotten out much. Um, he's somebody who follows the rules and he plays by the rules and he expects everybody else to do that. And because he hasn't really been very many places, he's easily fooled and he ends up getting caught between a corrupt policeman and an ex-syndicate operative, which we'd never heard of this syndicate before. It sounds like something from Star mm -hmm. Trek, uh, the Orion Syndicate. And um, he almost gets turned into a human bomb to take out this corrupt cop. And, you know, hijinks ensue and everything ends up fine. The most interesting thing about the story was is realizing the revelation at the end that this guy that you thought was good, right, is, well, I mean, he ended up rigging the contest because he learned it was rigged. So he's really not that great of a guy. And the, the message of the story seemed to be like, you know what? All of life's rigged, so screw it. Just, just play by everybody else's rules. Like, and I, something really struck me about the story that I, I did not like because of that. Because I felt like the message of it was, is, eh, you know, whatever you got to do to get ahead, do it. Yeah, that it was like, sometimes you have to cheat to get ahead and that's okay. What? <laughs> yeah, but he's been cheated for over 100 years. It took him a century to actually figure it out. <laughs> so in some ways, he isn't that bright. Well, and it is interesting in the sense that, like, uh, you know, it, it starts with, it starts that theme that this is kind of the way Canto Bite itself works. You know, that that's the one thing that, that thematically kind of ports over from every story is is kind of the fact that Canto Bite isn't reality. Uh, <laughs> it, it is this uh, almost alternate reality and has its own rules to which it works. And, um, yeah... It, but for me, it just became this thing where it was like, I feel like this character is so Monsters, Inc. Like, yes. He really is in the worst possible way. Um, he comes off as so dumb and naive that it's hard to take the story seriously because he's so dumb. Um, and... The one lesson you kind of get out of it is, yeah, you know, I mean, if everybody else is rigging stuff, well, I guess I can rig stuff too, you know. It, it, I just, I don't, I don't know. It just didn't sit well with me, uh, specifically since Star Wars for George from the very beginning, like before the movie even came out, he said that this was all about kind of being a morality play for kids, helping them understand the morals, meanings, and messages he wasn't seeing them get back in the seventies. 
And this kind of seems to fly in the very face of that. Like, there is absolutely no good moral here other than that there are really no morals. So don't worry about it. It's cool. I did get one. Okay. One good moral. <laughs> um, and, and I'll throw in there, it, the character that I liked the most in this story that I think the author did a great job with was the hitman, Angling. Um, because you see a struggle in him of, I just want to do this one last job and get my money and live out my days with lots of money. And yet I am falling, you know, victim to feeling badly for this guy and decided to just throw it all away because I can't end on a job where I feel like I've done something bad to a good person. So I liked that aspect and I liked the moral that even though Ked Penn is an annoying character to me, brings to the story when he's basically telling you that in everything he does, be kind to others even if they're not kind to you because it might lead to either an unexpected friendship or things to go better than they could have if you, you know, exchange an eye for an eye. So I liked that. Yeah, I mean, there was that thing... um that is that runs throughout it because as he's going to use Ked Pin, he he's watching him honestly, and the more he gets to know him, the less he feels like he can use him. So mm-hmm. you know or that idea that yeah, if you get to know somebody, it becomes harder to really take advantage of them because you know them. You know, like you've put a face in that they're not just some sort of label or something like that. So there is that, and I thought that was interesting and and a good part of the story. So, you know, definitely not a complete wash, but I will say it definitely my f- least favorite story in um this this collection of stories. So, uh now the second book, The Wine and Dreams by Mira Grant. I, this story is exquisite. Yes. And it's her use of language, the way that she forments her sentences, like the way she puts it all together, her sentences, the structure, the flow, like everything about this short story led me to feel like I absolutely knew what Canto Bite was all about from this one story. The picture that she painted with her words and the story itself, the plot of the story, was phenomenal. I adore this story like this is one of the best star wars short stories i've read in the new canon i really really like it wow so do you like this one it sounds like you do um especially over a glass of wine it's really good yes yes or or, um some other liquor yes absolutely no it was really good it's um it's very elegant yes and it has that feel that, like you said, it's the way it's written. You can really picture Canto Bite. It's almost like the first story shows you the ugly side outside of the casinos, and this is showing you more of the beautiful ugly side inside the casinos and how people manipulate and don't trust one another. Uh, it's... It was just it was just interesting. There always seemed to be these little twists that were happening that I didn't see necessarily what was coming each time. And uh I really enjoyed that. And I I didn't really get like how they were switching out the labels on the wine bottles so easily. That was kind of weird to me. I just thought about that right now. I don't know why. I just remember it was too easy for them. <laughs> but then also the person they were taking the sisters were taking advantage of and anyway. I agree that part could have been done a little better. It was confusing to me, too. It was something about the, either they carry with them or they have a gland that um, lets out some sticky substance that lets them put their hand on the labels and peel it off easily and put they a new They secrete Gooby Gone? Yeah. <laughs> or rubber cement? Yeah. <laughs> something. Um, it grossed me out a little bit. But yeah, I, I think that first of all, being somebody who occasionally likes a glass of wine, this story made me want a glass of wine. I think that, like you said, Matt, with her way of painting a picture, it makes you 
want something to drink, <laughs> no matter what that is. I don't know why, but she is really good at making you want something to drink. And then also... Ruby, can I get a scotch? Thanks. Yeah. Uh, I'll take a Chianti. Um, and, uh, and then I like what you were saying too, Bruce, about how they're talking about the, the inside of, um, what was her name? Ubiala's club and talking about even how, um, that speeders would get so close to the exterior of the building that the vegetation would sway in the breeze. I thought that that was a nice touch. Um, So things like that really, it makes me want to read more by this author for sure. And I think that my favorite characters in this story and probably everyone's were the grandma's sisters that are tricking everyone. And you don't see their plan coming until it unfolds. And then suddenly you're going, oh my gosh, they have duped everybody. Yeah, I like that too. And Ubiala, 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 I like how she you know, is very insistent that whatever deal is taking place in her casino, it's hers because she owns it. Anything that happens there, she owns that conversation. Anything that's being traded, that's she hers owns first. you. <laughs> she owns you. This is her property. You're on her property. So if you're haggling for something, well, you're really haggling for her too if she wants it because it's on her turf. One of the things that um, I, I love most about this is the thematic structure of the story and how they stress over and over again that it's a story, it's a legend, it's a lie. Like everything is a legend, everything is a lie. And what this story ends up being is this beautiful lie. Everything is, everyone is being played. Every, you know, Canto Bite is a stage and they're all players on it. And mm-hmm. that's what makes this so beautiful is that is that intrigue and kind of like um, backstabbing and all of these things that are going on. But the way that she weaves it all together, it's it's as though the story is the metaphor for what Canto Bite itself is. Which is, it's a lie. It's a beautiful lie. Um, and nothing here is real. We have a sea and a desert that we made that shouldn't be here. We have, right. you know, Alderanian trees that shouldn't be here because this is not their, um, you know, this would not be the place that they would grow uh, if we didn't plant them here and keep them alive. Um, you know, all of the people that shouldn't be here um, because they can't really stand the desert sun for more than five minutes or they're dead, you know, like this whole place is just this one big beautiful lie and these sisters and this whole story um, with uh, Drella who is the specialist in wine, all of this drives home the point about what Canto Bite is. And I really, I I just, through reading this story, I felt like if this had been the only one story that had been released just as a novella, an e-novella, I still would have felt like I completely understood Canto Bite itself, so that when I saw it in the movie, I had an appreciation for the kind of place that they're going. Um, That's what was so, like, this is the pinnacle of the stories in in this, you know, short story book. Um, so I, I, I've been gushing about it, but it really was, I just felt like it was so well done. And like you said, Bruce, one of the fun things about it is that there are lots of little twists and turns and stuff that I didn't see kind of coming, um, specifically how the sisters, you know, they pick up a souvenir and it turns out to be a person like that whole thing. Like it, it it gave you an insight to kind of the type of people that make Canto Bite run with, you know, that with the, the people who are so flippant with money and everything else that they can just feel like that they can pick up a person, you know, like and make them mm-hmm. a souvenir. Um, all of it was just so wonderfully and beautifully done. Uh, it just, it was, it was a super fun story. So I, I really, really liked it and I just enjoyed it because it again it felt like 
for a book called Canto Bite, reading this story after the first one, I felt like, okay, now I understand what this place is, is. You know, like I get the it about Canto Bite. And I like the point to piggyback off of what you said, Matt, that the author kind of made that um, with the wines that any crappy wine becomes the legend that is behind it. And so it becomes desirable and more valued and higher in demand, the better the story behind where it comes from and how old it must be and all of these things. And so I think that in the same token, she's sort of saying that that's what Canto Bite is, is this legend and that it became this place that everyone wanted to go and spend their money because of the people that started Canto Bite spreading that rumor that it was the place you want to be. And so I loved that parallel of the two. Yeah, and then the special wine is like that too. It's fabricated into, like you said, this legend. And it kind of does represent Canto Bite. Canto Bite is the shiny, sparkly thing that everybody wants. It makes you feel good. And that's like this wine. It sparkles, it shines, and it tastes really good. Candle bite tastes really good to everybody, but really it's all just. And then it takes everything you have. Yeah, it just takes. (laughs) uh, Yeah, it takes your money. It takes your soul away, really. I think a lot of people that go to Candle Bite have no souls. They're soulless. They're searching for something. (laughs) Somewhere out there. Um, Little five will talk there. But uh, so the thing that I, 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 I loved about them. Uh, the sisters was that there was one thing that was not a lie, and it was how good their wine was. Because um, when the wine connoisseur tastes their wine, she is blown away by the presentation, the taste, everything about it. Kind of it just, it's as good as it's been made out to be. It is what they call the wine of dreams. Which, but they also question if it's really wine. Well, and and that's that's kind of an interesting um, thing that they talk about. But I just I I liked that there was there, you know, as they always say, you know, the best lie has some truth to it. And it seemed like with uh, their alcoholic beverage, as we'll call it, is it really wine? Um, <laughs> it does seem like uh, that there's some truth to what they say that has been said about it. So. Really liked that. Um, and they have a fake bottle of flower juice and yes. mouthwash. That was <laughs> awesome. How I, I got the feeling like in the story there when they um, ha- went to the bathroom there that they had actually just taken that and put that together and then put in that bottle. And then, you know, like I love that, um, that whole switcheroo like there's a lot of those that happen in the story and we're not giving a lot away so it makes it really worth going and reading um but yeah there are a lot of switcheroos that happen in here that are a lot of fun so definitely worth uh, reading this story for sure uh the next one is hear nothing see nothing say nothing by ray carson and I don't know about you guys, but I felt like this one kind of added the mob element that you kind of expect, you know, from a casino story. Like, there's got to be a mob element somewhere, like the mob boss, you know, kind of. And and I really, for me, this kind of filled that mold uh, and that genre role. And that's what made me really like it. On top of it being kind of a really, this one had another good plot structure like I felt like it was really well plotted and laid out um, so that as it all kind of unfolded the mystery of it and everything I I was really going with story. I really thought like um, that this was a another strong story to this series yeah I'll agree with that for sure and it, and I'd like to add too that I totally agree with the mob element because I mean first of all seeing that title you immediately think the mob you know or like somebody standing over your shoulder going you didn't see nothing so you won't say nothing 
<laughs> and you're like, yes, sir. Um, but it, you know, it reminds me of, I think it was the whole reason that the city of Las Vegas even started was that the mob from New York needed something as a front to cover up all of their operations. And so they created Las Vegas as sort of a way to, you know, be like, oh, yeah, it's just a place for cheap fun. And they can still keep doing all of their stuff behind closed doors with what looks like a legit operation. Um, and so that that's kind of the first thing that I thought of with Canto Bite and this book and then also with this story. Um, but yeah, I, I really liked it and, and really um, felt like it was an, nicely fit in with the other kinds of stories we're getting from the book. Um, but also that element of still, it just, the whole thing makes me think of Las Vegas and makes me think of you know, that classic casino city and that there's always something going on behind closed doors that you don't know about that's dark and scary. Or it makes you feel like Reno or Atlantic City. I don't want to leave all those other ones out, you know. But mm-hmm. no, this story, I think, does fit well along with the first story rules of the game. I, th- I like this one better, but it feels more like that first one than it did Wine in the Dreams. But what I liked about this was the protagonist is looking for his daughter. She's gone missing, and he goes looking for her. And it doesn't really seem like it's a mystery necessarily, but he's given a job to do to get her. And I was actually surprised that he went through with it. Because I almost expected that he was going to do the deed, which is awful, and then right when he's getting ready to do it, back out and try to find another way around it and try to scheme his way out of it. Because the character is presented as being good, that he's turned over a new leaf and he had done things bad in the past and now he's a nice guy and and this, this girl that he's raising isn't his biological daughter. He finds her and he raises her. So he's, he's got a new lease in life. But then he goes back to his old ways to save her, which isn't very nice. But she does forgive him for it. Uh, they're both disappointed that he did what he did. So I was a little surprised that they went that direction with the character, which actually worked well for me because I like to be surprised with things like that. So I did enjoy this. Um, not as much as Wine in the Dreams, but I did enjoy this a lot. I, I do agree with you, Barisa. This is obviously, not obviously, but it is just not as good as the second story. But it is a good story, and I like what you said, is that there is this whole other side to this character that you don't realize until about midway through it, where he kind of reveals in a conversation with somebody that he was basically kind of like a spy like who who used the um pheromone powers he had to be able to kill people and like you I didn't see that coming that he used to basically be a assassin um for hire and I really like the the way that that played out and I like too like you said he doesn't really chicken out you know, from doing what he has to do to save his daughter. And that's kind of the whole question of this is, you know, um, and I think thematically is what will Canto Bite make you do to get what you want? And for him, this is not about money. This is about protecting his adopted daughter. Like, she's not even his daughter. She's, she's somebody he found in a basket and decided to take care of, even though he's not human and he had no idea how to take care of a human being. Um, he learns how to do it and he loves her and she is his daughter now. Um, even so much so that when they have the opportunity for her to maybe have her parents found, she's like, you know, maybe one day, but you're the only papa I need. And I was like, oh man, that's good stuff. You know, like the way that she makes that all work was really cool and i also liked um the uh piece of the death star 2 that showed up yeah um, that was surprising yeah that was kind of fun um and part of this uh mobsters collection it has a certificate of authenticity of being a piece of the death star 2 
<laughs> Which I like that they call it the Death Star 2. <laughs> right. Because that's what we all do. And who's making these certificates of authenticity? I don't know, the Ewoks. <laughs> so, um, the last story here is by veteran Star Wars writer John Jackson Miller. And I always love myself some John Jackson Miller. Uh, he's done great Star Trek books, as Bruce knows as well. Um, but uh, I do have to say, this story started off in a way that I was completely taken aback and I had absolutely no idea what to do with. And then midway through, all of a sudden it clicked and I was like, this story is so much fun. Yes. So, yeah, Matt and I talked a little bit about this earlier. I'm a big John Jackson Miller fan. So, John, if you're listening... Yay. And I just want to say I was going into it because I was looking forward to this one the most. And yeah, at first I was just kind of like, okay, we, you know, we've, we've, we've got this guy and he's gambling and we're seeing the casino. And then there's these three guys or brothers that are kind of weird and comical in a way. And they're, they Dody, don't really Dody know and what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're related to the guy from the first story, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Tweedledee and Tweedledum and yes. their third brother. <laughs> right. And then, like you said, Matt, it just like clicked. I think it's really by the time they got to the races and they took his money to go buy the, was it the Fatherer? Is that what they're called? Fathier. Like Fathiers <laughs> or something like that. And I was just like, it's like, okay, you know, this is really getting to be interesting. And then the results of what happened with that and the fact that we think a good thing happened and now things have turned around, but no, they haven't because that's not the rules. The rules are different. And it's like, okay, it's up and down and up and down and stuff. And it was just all these ups and downs. And I was just like, is where's this going to end? And the way it ended really just like, like this is the best story to put the end of the book. The way mm-hmm. this ended just was the thing that made me go, "Yes, I like the story." Yeah, it was the it. What it was is it was the thing that I was not expecting to have happen at the end. Like uh, John did a really great job of creating something that I thought was going to be the end, but then it wasn't the end. Uh, and and then he kind of threw me for a loop, and I was like, "Oh, this is great!" Like. I don't know how this is going to end up, and this is awesome. Um, and I I really ended up just enjoying where the story took me and the ride that he took me on with it. And But not only that, Bruce, but I, and Christy, I really wanted to ask you guys, did you get this? There's this kind of beautiful message in the story because the, the character himself, and his name's Cal, uh, is realizes that what he's struggling with is that he's kind of lost joy in life. Like that he's lost the joy and 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 what's weird is that he does what he he's supposed to love for a living. He loves playing cards and he actually gets paid by the casino to be a professional gambler to be there to help make games for people as a gambler. But he He's turned what he loves into like a chore. And it was he's just going I, through the motions. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And and because he's he's taking all the fun out of it. And I, I really liked this whole idea that he he's lost joy. And he's lost the ability kind of to find that joy in things. Um and through meeting these three wild and crazy brothers, he finds a way through that to to get back on the ride, the crazy ride that life is, and learn how to enjoy that. And I thought that was kind of, I don't know, it was just really touching to me because I think we all have been there where just life just feels like drudgery and we kind of hate whatever it is that we're doing so much. And I feel like they that John found a way to bring home the story that maybe you're the one who's making your own life drudgery. That maybe it's all in how you look at it. 
Yeah, and it is kind of a, a thing about perspective. And I thought that that was really, really well done. And it it was a great way to, like you said, Bruce, wrap up this story um, in Canto Bite, uh, these set of stories in Canto Bite, and really kind of feel like you ended on a, I don't know, kind of like an inspirational, happy place. Like, And that's not something you would necessarily expect, I guess, from a book about a casino planet, you know, where we're used to casino movies kind of going wrong and everything. So I don't know, just really, really enjoyed where John took the story. And then did you like that last line mentioning the vaporator sales being of the year? Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> there were Are little connections in these stories to each other, just tiny little Easter eggs like that. I've noticed that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, that and, was and, really nice. Yeah, you know, these brothers, the three stooges is what I'll call them. They're, they win by luck quite often just because they're just enjoying the game. And they kept, you know, they point out to Cal, this is, it's just a game. Because Cal's like, I've just lost money. And they're like, so what? You spent money to play a game and games are fun. So just think that you just bought something fun for yourself. And Cal's like, I don't look at this as being fun. I lost out. But there, it's like you're saying, Matt, it's like, it's like, what we're being told here is, you know, life is a game and you can put your energy into things and sometimes it's going to turn out well and sometimes it's not, but you just got to keep going and keep doing it over and over again and just enjoy life and enjoy the game. And I think they're saying too, if you're staying positive most of the time, as much as you can, typically things are going to work more in your direction than work the opposite way. Well, and yeah, and it also seems like this thing of, you know, don't beat yourself up over things that you can't control, you know, right. and because there are going to be plenty of things you can't control and, and just, you know, in, in a lot of ways, just let it go. Like, it's okay. Um, and if it, it was weird because, like, I don't really agree with the whole idea, like, life is just a game, you know, let's just play it well. Um in, in that sense, but there is a way in which the the brothers were were speaking to Cal and trying to help him to understand and get to where he needed to be in life so he enjoyed life again, he could find joy in life again, that I was really responding to in the in the sense of what they were talking about, like trying to get him to understand life more as a game than just like um, this thing that has to be conquered. Um, and there's a big difference in that, you know, um, because when we think of things more in the game sense, you know, I think we, uh, games are things that we can enjoy and then we can learn from and grow from and we move forward, right? And so I just think that's really interesting to kind of have that perspective. And I don't know, again, it was just this kind of really fun way to wrap up this series of stories in a way that I was not expecting. And it it was so life inspiring. Like it it, it felt like a wonderful celebration of life. Like, you know, um, it's a wonderful life. Remember that. Yeah. It, Mm -hmm. it almost told me there's going to be some stories in Canto bite that you're really going to like, and some not so much, but just enjoy them. Yeah. Just, just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride. <laughs> Don't worry about the seven ninety nine that you spent on it. You just spent seven ninety nine or whatever how much this book is to have fun with it. You know, I, I have to say too, this is kind of relevant. I was uh watching Schmodown the other day and Sam Whitworth said a quote that I loved and it was it doesn't matter if you win or lose, unless it's war, in which if you lose you die, so then it does matter. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I was Very like, true. What? What just happened? But yeah, I, I think that it, it's kind of the the quote that I thought of was that life is a journey and it's not the destination that matters. It's how you get there. Yeah, you know, that's that really is a really good point. And, uh, you know, I, I, I again, I just think it it took us on a wild ride at the end that is, is kind of what this book needed, I think. And so I guess for you guys, uh, what would you rate? you know, Canto Bite, uh, this collection of four stories. Okay, let's see. Are we giving a thing to rate with or just a number? I don't know. Say out of five. 
I would give it a three out of five vaporators. Nice. <laughs> I like it. What about you, Bruce? Well, yeah, I did that on uh, Goodreads, too. I give it three out of five, but I'd say it's three out of five uh, brothers. The other two are missing. <laughs> I would say um, that this is three and a half out of five dreamy wines. Yeah, three and a half mm. out of five dreamy wines. Yeah, this is... Um, and I, I added that. That's point. three bottles and a broken one, right? Exactly. Um, <laughs> it is exactly what it is. And no, I added that that uh, that point five because that stick that second story was so good for me that I I it, I felt like it deserved it, um, and it really did put this book on a, a slightly higher level than if it hadn't been there. So, um, but yeah, I think uh, you know. For all that we said at the very beginning, I guess the last question I want to ask you after rating it, is this something that you think, you know, Star Wars fans would enjoy reading, especially if they're kind of looking for something to do after they see The Last Jedi and they're like, I want some more Star Wars. I think it's worth a read. I think that just because of the three out of the four stories, um, the first one was okay for me. Um, I think that it's, you know, a fun read when, you know, you're looking for a new Star Wars book, but that it's not super heavy on the Star Wars, except for being Canto Bite and Aliens. Um, so I, I would still suggest it, but probably not as highly rated as I would say something like, you know, the um, Leia Princess of Alderaan book. I would not suggest it. Especially if it was your second Star Wars book that you ever read. <laughs> right, Chrissy? Um, you know, if someone went to see The Last Jedi and they're just a casual Star Wars fan and they came to me and they asked me, you know, hey, should I read this Canto Bite book? I would probably point them to something else. Uh, but, you know, if somebody's trying to read all the Star Wars books and they ask me what I thought of it, I'd say, oh yeah, you know, go ahead and read it. You'll enjoy it. But I wouldn't put this as a suggestion in any top list of Star Wars books I would suggest to anyone. For the or reason like your like, top 10 or anything like that. Yeah, because just like you said, Christy, I mean, it's not like, you know, if you want, you know, it's got some characters from Star Wars, but it's not really, a, you know, that much of a Star Wars book, then that's why I really wouldn't recommend it to anyone unless they're really into reading all things Star Wars. Then I'd say, yeah, I think uh, check it out. It's it's a fun read. Yeah, this is a book that um, I would qualify and say this is a hardcore Star Wars fan book, right? You know, this is something you're going to get more out of if you're a super hardcore Star Wars fan and you're trying to read everything. Um, my enjoyment of that second story does transcend the fact that it's Star Wars. Like, it was just a fun story if it had been in any sci-fi universe, honestly. Um, it and, and it could have been almost in, like, 1960s Vegas, you know, um, with some very esoteric sisters. Um, and so, yeah, this is a tough one because I, I don't think that this is a book that probably most people that aren't, you know, big Star Wars fans are probably really going to pick up and enjoy. They would probably read this and be like, what? Um, so I don't know. Um, that's a really tough call. And I'd say, hey, if you are a Star Wars fan, pick it up and, and read it, um, especially after you see the movie and you're just kind of looking for something else Star Wars. Otherwise, it probably won't be the book for you. And I hate having to say that about a Star Wars book because I don't really like saying that about Star Wars book. But I just kind of got to be honest, this, it doesn't feel like the most well thought out effort from the Star Wars book properties as for ways that we can really tie into the universe and, and make it feel like, like I don't, like I said at the beginning, I don't feel like when I read this book that if I hadn't read this book, I would be missing something. Or that it added something to my enjoyment of the film. Because like you said, Bruce, you were reading it and it wasn't adding anything to your Canto Bite scenes. But wouldn't you say that's some of the problems we've been having lately with Star Wars material is there's kind of these 
authors have the shackles of they can't really go that deep into something. I mean, you got to think none of these authors saw the movie. They were given bits of information, probably a couple of photos or d- descriptions or diagrams and said, okay, this is the basic outline of what the canobite is and what the aliens look like and go. But they can't really go and establish the history of Canto Bite and tie it into a story that involves the First Order or the Rebellion, you know, there's all, or the Resistance. There's, they can't really go there. So they're kind of confined to this little area of don't go too far. And, you know, we're saying this is canon, but we really don't want you to define Canto Bite as being canon. That's more of what we need to keep open for ourselves, making the movies and such. So just play it safe. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I do agree with you. Um, and again, I think that the the thing that we come down to, at least I came down to with the book, the feeling that I got in the first, the very first time that I completely got this feeling with uh, a Star Wars book property was that this was a cash grab. Let's let's put a, a book out there that slap, you know, Journey to the Last Jedi on it and people will buy it but it doesn't have an impact on the larger mythos of Star Wars in any way, shape, or form. And yes, I absolutely adore that second story. It's not enough. Right, like other than the location, what's it doing for you on your journey to The Last Jedi? (laughs) Yeah, true. (laughs) It is. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting having to have that conversation, but... Um, I'm excited. You know, the next show we've got is The Last Jedi coming out. Uh, Bruce and I will be there with John Mills breaking it all down for you. We're very excited to do that. So make sure you check that out. Hopefully that will be out uh, on Monday the 18th. That is the goal uh, here in 2017 to have that out for you then. So be looking for that thank you so much for joining us uh we've got uh, our associate producers here through patreon i want to say huge thank you to them ken trip and davis grayson these guys have been supporting the network and this show for so long and we can't uh we just can't make this network happen without people like them um it's a huge network and it costs a lot of money to run it and we definitely need your help doing that so uh, Patreon is the best place to do that. Uh, Patreon.com slash TrekFM. There's uh, many different levels you can support us at. We love giving back to you with uh, producer credits. Uh, you can be on the Patreon's roundtable. There's so many other things, uh, exclusive content, uh, early access to content. Again, every little bit helps every month, and, and that's Patreon.com slash TrekFM. Uh, now, Christy, uh, when uh, you're not here in the 602 Club hanging out with us, uh, where can everybody uh, find you online? Sure, you can find me on, I'm going to be starting co-hosting the Galactic Fashion Podcast starting in January, so I'm really excited about that. Um, Talking mostly about Star Wars as it relates to fashion for both women and men, um, but also um, other properties as well. And then you can find me on um, my personal Instagram and Twitter at my new um, handle, BespinBell. And I write for StarWarsReport.com and FangirlNextDoor.com. I'm going to have to have my daughter Amanda listen to your podcast because she's into Star Wars and fashion. Oh, yay. I'd love that. And Bruce, uh, when you're not sitting here in the 602 Club, where else can people find you? Well, let's see. You can find me here on the network on Literary Treks, Trek FM's official podcast about Star Trek books and comics with Dan Gunther. And and myself. <laughs> and you can find me also here on the network. Every time a new episode of Star Trek Discovery comes out on a Sunday, the next evening, Brandy Jackala and I do a live from the edge. It's our live reaction to the episode. And we do it on Twitter. I mean, on Twitter, we do it on YouTube. And then it comes out as part of the edge feed the next day for you to listen to. And then also you can t- find me talking Star Wars on the Star Wars Report. And you can find that in any podcaster app that you have and uh, StarWarsReport.com. And, uh, of course, there's a lot of Star Wars to talk about in these next couple of weeks. And so check that out. And, of course, you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. 
You can find me on Twitter and MattRushing02 um, on Instagram under the same name. I'm here on the network, also doing The Orb with Chris Jones, talking Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Just released our latest episode just about a few days ago at this point, so go check that out, all about ROM. Uh, you can find me on the Nerd Party Network, talking Harry Potter with Dre Kaufman as uh, we walk through each and every chapter of the series, uh, one chapter at a time on Owlpost. Uh, and then, of course, I'm doing Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills, talking all about Star Wars. We're going to be having a blast breaking down The Last Jedi there, talking about all the weird esoteric things that go on with that. So make sure you check that out. It's a lot of fun. And then last but not least, um, I do a show called Cinema Stories with my friend Courtney, and we kind of talk about the morals, meanings, and messages of movies through the lens of faith. But thank you so much for joining us, and may the Force be with you. Mm-hmm.